Welcome to the Rad Season Podcast. I'm Ollie Russell Cowan. This week, I'm joined by ex-professional snowboarder, sports events commentator, TV, radio, and podcast host, and the founder of the game show Famous First Words, Mr. Tim Wherwood. Tim is a British TV presenter known for his energetic style and entertaining hosting skills. He started snowboarding at Britain's first indoor snow centre, the Tamworth Snow Dome. It was there that he met his friend Adam Gendel, and they've been on over a thousand adventures since, probably more. Tim started doing seasons and became the UK snowboarding champion by the age of 20. Travelling and filming with Gendel, he got into commentating snowboarding events in the UK, which led to him being part of the BBC's Winter Olympics commentary team. He's co-hosted Red Bull's Soapbox Race, Travelling all over the world, he's presented the legendary winter sports show Ski Sunday and also the Animal Impossible TV series for BBC Studios. Tim's knowledge in action sports, combined with his humour and warmth, resonate with audiences of all ages. He has established himself as a respected and beloved TV presenter, captivating viewers with his infectious enthusiasm. We're going to be talking about how Tim got into snowboarding, going off on seasons, filming snowboarding movies, commentating at the Olympics how he and Gendel started Famous First Words and what they have in store for the show and loads more. Let's jump into it. 19 cups of coffee. So. <laughs> good stuff, man. <laughs> Tim, how you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Really good. Good to, yeah, good to get you on the show. I, I know we've been kind of, yeah, chatting chatting for a bit and uh, yeah, good to good to have you on, man. Oh, it's a, a pleasure. It's um. Well, it's massive. I, don't, I suppose it's a bit cheesy and a bit cliche, isn't it? But it's always nice to be asked to do stuff like this. I, I really, I feel a bit, I feel very honoured. I feel very like, why do you want me on it? But um, yeah, so no, thank you. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely for, I mean, all the all the stories, man. I mean, kind of going from, yeah, from sort of snowboard days and then into presenting and stuff like that. And yeah, keen to kind of dive into into that side of things and seeing you've been pretty busy recently as well running yeah, around different events and that's it i mean i've never really um i've never really stopped or i've tried not to stop i've tried to keep my finger in the in all the pies that i can and and so i am the classic jack of all master of none although what is the proper saying that the proper phrase is jack of all jack of all trades master of none still better than master of one is it or something like that or master <laughs> of none i don't know anyway yeah so i i just really busy still uh, hanging out with Gendel, my best mate, that we we yep. still work together and do so many bits and bobs since our kind of professional loosest fingers over the fingers over the head uh, quote marks. Uh, professional days of snowboarding, we're still hanging out, and we've basically got this. We do a singing game show, so we do a. Um, it's like a pub night that we do. It's kind of like karaoke, but it's not karaoke. Um, and it's something that we used to play when we were literally doing our seasons. You know, we battle each other and challenge each other to sing the first line of a song. And it's just kind of grown from that, really. And now we're doing so many of them. And um, it's our, I guess you'd call it my full time job, really. So, yeah, up and down the country, a couple of nights a week, throwing parties for people and, and having a laugh, basically. Nice one. This is um, Famous First Words, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I had, um, yeah, James, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, just after he came back from from snowboarding. And he, oh, was, okay. he was telling me that he was, yeah, judging one. And I've never actually been to one. I'm keen, keen to, de- definitely keen to check it out. And yeah, he was just saying it, it was mental. Like, And, and how, how you and Gendel kind of get the crowd going. Oh, like, from well. The, from the beginning, it's kind of... You know, I don't know. I guess you never really know like how, how it's going to go down, and then by the end of it, you just said there was like people climbing onto the stage and stuff. And it's yeah, just... it's quite ridiculous. It's it's. I mean, for for those that don't know, it's basically um, a singing game show where me and Gen will come on stage dressed as nineteen seventies um, quiz show hosts in our bow ties <laughs> and and dinner jackets, and we do this ridiculous routine to to kind of just make everybody feel at ease. And I know it's it, it kind of is a little bit hit and miss and you just see what what happens and what goes but actually we've actually we've been playing the game in its kind of form now for over 10 years so we know how it works we know the best way to get people going so it's a it's a it's a carefully a carefully manicured beast that yeah you you kind of you you come on the stage you do all this flamboyance and you make a fool of yourself and it instantly puts everybody else at ease because they look at you on stage and they go 
well, there's no way I'm going to make any more of a fool of myself than what that guy is. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I end up singing and dancing along and doing the demo of the game to, to One Direction and to have a 43-year-old man prancing around singing along perfectly to <laughs> Zane, Louis, Niall and the other one. It's, uh, it's quite funny. But, yeah, we play... We basically play the start of a song, and if anybody thinks they can sing along to that, just the famous first words, just the first line, scream, holler, whoop, put their hands in the air, we stop the track, we bring them up on stage, we restart the song, and then they've just got to sing along to it. And because the it's only that first line, the game's really fast-paced, so contestants yeah. are coming up every kind of two or three minutes, and the genre goes from Beyonce to One Direction to... Al Green to Adele, you know, all these different genres and, and different types of music that people are in the crowd. You can see them like frothing, like, let me up, let me up. It's got, you know. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really good fun. I, we really, really enjoy playing it and, and every night's different and stuff like that. So, it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's good. And, and, and that's kind of then taking over, like, would you say, yeah, as your sort of full-time thing or you're kind of doing more of these, like, yeah, well, it, more events? Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, we I've always worked in events. I mean, to give you the kind of the potted history, I, I, I used to do a lot of snowboarding, used to be a professional back in the day. And um, I think I was at one event and I couldn't ride because I'd hurt my knee. And, and the organiser, I think it was Stu Brass at the time, came up to me and he said, here you go, you can comment. You've got a loud voice. Here you go. And he gave me the microphone and I just started shouting at everybody and abusing people, all my mates that were in the contest. And at the end, he came up and gave me 30 quid. And I was like, oh. What, you get paid to talk? <laughs> it was like a light bulb moment. So I realised that I could go to these same events as all my mates and instead of riding and getting maybe a fifth, sixth or seventh place, I could go to these same events, talk all day and get 70 quid. So um, I very quickly transitioned into a kind of event MC and event commentator and that led to doing bits of TV. There was a, a TV director in the crowd and, and he came up to me at the end and he said, you know, you'd be, you should do some telly, you'd be quite good. So... I said, yeah, why not? And that, and I started off working for Channel 4, doing a show back in the day called Free Sports on 4, which was a magazine mm. sports show, skate, surf, BMX, snowboarding, all the, all the sports that I loved and, um, you know, used to participate in. And um, started doing that for Channel 4 and, and kind of my TV career, um, excuse the pun, snowballed from there. And, um, yeah, just worked in telly for kind of 15 20 years or so and then it was it was more after the pandemic i mean bef I, we, I was me and gendel were working together and presenting together on telly right up to the pandemic and then the pandemic kind of put put pay to all tv uh yeah. certainly any new tv being made and and being who i am and where i was in my career it's you know it's definitely the twilight of my career you know coming towards the end of it so we were already playing famous first words, but we were doing it just for fun and for friends and weddings and that kind of thing. And the occasional corporate gig that actually on paper, it, it's quite a good little learner. So me and Gendel just said, you know what? We, we're a bit sick of chasing the TV dream. And we just said to ourselves, let's just make a go. Let's just do this. Let's make a go of it. And that was kind of towards the middle of last year. And since then, we've been doing pretty much one a week since then so we do a, really? a birmingham That's a manchester it. london birmingham manchester london glasgow monthly show plus private parties plus festivals plus corporate gigs christmas parties all that kind of stuff and yeah it's now our it's now our full-time job and and how does it compare so say when you're doing like a small corporate gig to say like i don't know 20 employees to then doing it at a pub level and then going to a festival do you know that? Yeah. yeah, they're all different and they all they all hit differently. They're all amazing. And this is going to sound really glib, but it never fails. It's never yet failed. I mean, we did a really tough gig the other night. Um, it's perhaps the wrong podcast to say this on because, they, you know, there's a chance they might listen. But it was for Adidas skateboarding and um, it was a room full of grufty skateboarders. I mean, we all know what skateboarders are like. They're a, they're a challenging bunch at the best of times. And and. It, we, we kind of were a bit panicked, a bit like, man, is this going to work? You know, 40 people in a railway arch in London that had been in this room yeah. all day, no windows. Last thing they want is me and Gendel standing there, slightly overweight, trying to do the splits or whatever. So we just we just kind of thought, well, let's just go for it. We'll see. And it takes a bit to get them to get them going up, get them, you know, get them up there. But eventually, it you know, they, they did get going. And, and it, yeah, it just... 
by the end they're frothing and they're like clamoring yeah. to get up and and it's just always a different it's a new playlist it's new songs it's always we, we can tailor the game if we for instance we do we did johnson and johnson uh, contact lenses we did their christmas party so you know you do an eye care round you do a you know and, and any songs that pertain to eyes or vision or seeing and you know it just makes it really different and really and a different show every time and um We've done. We we did download festival to about five thousand people, and then conversely, we did a show once at um, a place called. Uh, well, it was for the Soho. I don't know if you know. There's like a swanky members club called the Soho House Group. Well, yeah. they've got one called White City or White House or whatever it is. Anyway, in London, but they did it on the same day as their members festival. And when we turned up there to do the show, the kind of staff looked at us and they're like, "What are you doing?" And we're like, "Oh, we're here to do a show tonight." And they're like. Yeah, you know, it's the house festival and everyone is at Somerset House, like literally everyone. <laughs> and we're like, oh, well, we've been booked. And I'm like, okay. So we did the show for eight people and five of them were bar staff. So we ended <laughs> up doing it. We did the show quite literally for eight people. But it just, it just becomes, it was still fun. It was still really good. And, you know, it, obviously you burn through songs way quicker, but it, people, I don't know, it just, it just works. The game just, it's so addictive. It just always works. Yeah. And and how does that say, like, compare to then, I don't know, when you first started out doing, like, commentating on, on events and then when things got a little bit more serious, so, say, doing it for, like, larger events like the Olympics, when that started, how, how was, yeah, I mean, it, it's a different beast, right? But yeah, you know, any kind yeah. of comparisons, would you say? Do you know what? I think... I always look back fondly on my my, my commentating career and I, I was never, I don't think I was a kid that was always like, oh, he's going to be on stage. or he's, I mean, I was a bit of a loud mouth and I certainly loved showing off. And my dad is always, my dad was always that man. I, you know, I looked up to my dad. Or I, I do look up to my daddy. You know, my dad is that guy that walks into a room and almost to diffuse the situation has to make everybody laugh. And I think that's kind of what I do when I'm nervous. My default is, how can you make everyone laugh here? Like make a fool of yourself and just, you know, diffuse the situation. And I, I think with my career and, and commentating and all that kind of stuff and, and event hosting, I was never, I don't think destined to do it, but when I started to do it, I just enjoyed it. And I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm tying myself in circles as I'm trying to say this, but it, it I, I think from just doing it and just almost, what am I trying to say here? Oh, that's my dad phoning. How about that? Sorry about that. I don't know if you heard that. Um, should pick it up? Should, should I pick it up? <laughs> he's, got, he's, he's got a joke. Dad, how you doing? All right. Um, I'm just watching your Instagram video of gold medals and uh, certificates. Oh, yeah. That was, well, that was because I found my gold medal from when I was 11 years old. That's good, isn't it? Right, yes. But um, shouldn't you be tiling or something? <laughs> I'm going to get on to tiling in a minute. Dad, I'm actually just recording a podcast. Do you mind if I love you and leave you? Yeah. All right. Take I'll care. call you in a bit, mate. Bye. 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 <laughs> How's the timing with that? Unbelievable. It's like it was set up. Oh, that was not set up. Um, <laughs> so my dad my dad watches my Instagram videos and then he has to comment or he phones me and comments on them and says... Uh, says, uh, why are you doing that? And why you... I, I remember once I did swear on social media. My dad phoned me straight back and he went, take that off. Your mother follows you. Take that off. And I've never sworn <laughs> on my Instagram since then. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry about that. You can delete that bit. That's um, amazing that you're still like, yeah, that they call you up though. And, like, yeah. Oh, mate, I still that. get... No, it's still just get, funny. It's good. Still get called out by my mom and dad for swearing. Um, but yeah, sorry to go back to emceeing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, to go back to emceeing and, and stuff, I, I think I don't think I was ever destined to do it. And and when I did it, it was just a, a an absolute big learning curve for me. Just just talking and hosting. And I used to work on a series called the Aim series, which was um, uh, a ski and snowboard championship, which went around the UK to all the different dry slopes. Pretty much felt like every weekend of the summer. And it was amazing. A proper traveling circus of ragtag skiers and snowboarders and I would commentate every single event, men's and women's, boys and girls, ski and snowboard, Saturday and Sunday from the crack of dawn until last light, regardless of who was there. So I would just pick up the microphone at nine o'clock in the morning and talk all day. And I think that put me in real good stead for, for yeah. 
I cut my teeth doing it, you know, because you, you learn how to work a crowd and you learn, you know, what jokes are funny and what jokes aren't funny and self-deprecation and all this kind of stuff. You just, you just, I learned it on the fly. So a lot of times now when I am doing these big events, if I'm doing 5,000 people or if I'm doing eight people, I feel like I've got quite a big toolkit that I can go out and use. And a lot of times I, I will go, right, this is just like Rosendale in the rain in 2000 when I was there, you know, and I'll, I'll like heart back and think, how did I, oh yeah, I did this joke. And I just tread, tread gently and just go in. And, and it's really put me in, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was the best kind of learning. And I think the whole classic 10,000 hours that you hear banded around a lot, you know, 10,000 hours of anything makes you a, a, a a professional or makes you certainly very proficient in it. And and I did those 10,000 hours, I think in one summer, pretty much at the AIM series. And did Gendel did like when you guys were then kids growing up snowboarding together, did you, did you have any thought that that was kind of where it would lead to that you'd be working together and you'd be doing, you no. know, from all yeah. the different TV shows to then commentating and then, obviously now with with famous first words and stuff like yeah it's a really weird journey. we've been on just such an amazing journey i mean we 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 met when we were he was 13 i was 15 at the snowdome he you know i was not wasn't working there but i was on the verge of working at the snowdome and gendel came and had his lessons and got good quite quick him and his group of mates from tamworth and i just fell in with them and and you know we all became just best mates snowboarding pretty much every night together we'd go down and they used to sweep snow and put out the ramps to get free tickets and I you know I would work there behind ski high giving out the skis and we just used to ride pretty much all the time and we became best mates and then doing seasons together and Gendel is um whereas I was kind of an event MC and and commentator in his spare time he used to make a lot of films and do some directing and and filmmaking and things like that and so he'd always be filming me and we'd always have little cameras and we'd be doing skits and filming each other and just making silly short movies and whatnot. And when I made the tr transition into TV, Gendel also made that almost that next step up into television as well. So he was mm -hmm. starting to do lots of directing for, for brands and things like this. And at the same time we were making our snowboard films as well for the snowboard asylum. So we made four snowboard movies um, with our little production company that we had at the time called lockdown projects. And we just loved what we did. We were we were really fortunate that we were supported by Jeremy Sladen and the Snowboard Asylum to to capture the British snowboard scene and make these videos every year. And and in doing so, we were, we were given free reign to film some fin funny skits and and make some stupid things. But we got the backing of people like Red Bull, and then Red Bull really liked what we were doing and the vibe. So they were like, "Well, if you're making that snowboard movie and we're supporting that, why don't you just come and?" film our marketing day or why don't you come and work with the red bull formula one team and so very quickly we were kind of fast tracked through to some quite big projects where yeah there were you know almost men in suits and then me and gendel standing there in our vans and baggy jeans and doing these kind of little videos and and tv bits and bobs and then i was doing some voiceover for um i was doing some voiceover for disney at the time and the company the production company said oh we've got a we've got a uh, a kids football show that we'd like that we'd think you'd be great to present you don't work with anybody else do you You know you don't work with another presenter and I went I just very quickly went yeah I work with my best friend actually and they're like wow you present with your best friend and I just lied through my back teeth I was like yeah I work yeah he's a presenter as well and then they're, they're like great so I got home that night and I turned again because we were living together at the time and I said I've got us a job you're gonna be on telly he went no no I'm not doing it <laughs> <laughs> and I literally had to talk him off the cliff and basically forced him to, to come and audition for this Disney show. And uh, we got it. We ended up getting this we ended up getting this this Disney show for kids called Goldmouth, which is a football show. And basically our our presenting started from there. We started presenting together and he very quickly got the bug and that led to doing, yeah, like fifteen years of, of TV presenting together. Yeah. And was there any kind of formal training? I guess from from Disney or any of the like the bigger companies or no, no. Red Bulls of the world, let no. him sit you guys down and go, 
don't say this. Don't, no, <laughs> don't do well, it that way. Yeah, I mean, we we had we definitely had the Red Bull and, and Disney lobotomies. You know, they 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 go through your social media and they give you the full <laughs> the full checkout. And I think yeah. as well with BBC and and again, kind of making that that transition. I I at the same time as doing that with Gend for Disney, I. Um, ended up doing some presenting for children's BBC as well. And that was, um, mm. you say, did we have any training? Not, it wasn't training as such, but we definitely... On the job, you, right? You, yeah, on the job. You learn, okay, I can't be swearing and I can't be putting up new pictures on the internet or doing any of this kind of stuff. Not that I would, but you know what I mean? Like you learn that you, you've got an audience there. And yeah. and I think in many ways, me and Gend, we are quite old, but we're a bit old fashioned as well. We see ourselves as kind of just old fashioned entertainers that we don't really fall back on smut and swearing and being controversial. We just kind of try to keep it family friendly, really. Yeah. Cool. And how was like, well, I, I guess was, was the first Olympics that you, that you did, was that, was that London? Yeah. So excuse me. Um, yeah. So I worked at London 2012 um, as a BMX. I was doing the BMX hosting for the for the racing. I was hosting in the venue the live events um, again, just through MC events. That was with Christian Stevenson at the time, um, and yeah, that was wild. It was you know really an amazing experience. London 2012 was I'm you know I'm sure everybody knows and sick of hearing it, but it was such a special time. I think it was it was brilliant. And then from from doing that and having that on my CV. And then at the same time as going into children's BBC, I became a bit of a trusted voice. And, and the moment you get that kind of initial in with the BBC, you then mm. become so much more trusted for the other deport, other departments. So when Ed Lee at the point, Ed Lee, um, if you don't know Ed Lee, I'm sure a lot of people know Ed Lee, but yeah, obviously BBC presenter and, and snow, snow sports host, he was instrumental in getting me in as a co-commentator for the, for the winter Olympics. And um, yeah, that's, that was 2014. So that was two years later. And because I was working at, in children's BBC, um, th it was kind of a bit of a no brainer for them. You know, it was, I, yeah. I was that trusted voice to, to get in there. And um, it, I kind of lost my train of thought. I'm quite good at that anyway. But um yeah, it just, it, it was, I, I kind of got in with the BBC. I'm just trying to figure out my timeline here, make sure make sure it's right. Uh, I was doing CBBC, so I was doing a show called Wild. And then, like mm -hmm. I said, from getting into children's, which is kind of the most um, trusted kind of level of BBC, because you do actually have the, the full BBC lobotomy at that point. You you know, you they go back through all your tweets and all your posts and all your social media really? to make just sure. Just checking everything. Just checking everything, yeah. Um <laughs> so it's for BBC Sport to then take me on, it was like, yeah, okay, he's fine. He'll be all right. And so then I ended up doing the Winter Olympics uh two years later with Ed. And how is that doing that with Ed? Like obviously be like being a pro snowboarder and then kind of yeah, and then commentating, I guess, on the bigger stage. Um, with a mate right it, that must have been amazing oh it was yeah it was everything that you'd think it would be and and more it was you can't quite I think the whole thing was made so special obviously Jenny Jones won a bronze medal and to see your friend do so well in a contest which I hope she doesn't listen to this arguably she shouldn't have done as well as she did and I think she'd say that as well you know definitely in the twilight of a career but she rode so incredibly well that day and it was I don't know, like snowboarding made its debut, snowboarding slope style made its debut at those Olympics. And it was, it just blew the doors off. I mean, it, it was like nothing else. It was because I think back in the UK, we, me and Ed were out there in Russia and, and back in the UK, it was that, it was the, it was before the Olymp the opening ceremony, I think. So it was the, it was the first day of the Olympics. So it was kind of almost the first thing to watch. It was a really crap, horrible day back home in England and rainy morning we were four hours ahead over in Sochi so um in the UK it was seven it seven o'clock in the morning crap crap weather everybody at home first thing on oh let's put the Olympics on and um I can remember me and Ed had been commentating all day anyway so it was I think it was finals time and and we'd been commentating we were in the booth and because we hadn't been live we'd actually already done two days of commentary but 
But as far as TV were concerned, it was the first time it had gone out on telly. So we were kind of in the flow at this point, me and Ed, and we were really comfortable and there were no nerves. It was all just, we're just having a laugh when you're talking away like this. And then all of a sudden your ear goes, uh, BBC commentators at uh, the freestyle, take a pause and you just freeze. It just goes quiet and you're like, who's that voice? And then you hear, yeah, it's Vicky here in Salford. Uh, we're coming to you live on BBC Two. Bear with us. And you're like, and you, and Ed, who's been there before, was just kind of had his arms up and he was quiet in the booth, but he's doing, he's like motioning, like, don't do anything, you know, just with his hands, just chill, just relax. And so I'm sitting there, my heart starts to pound. I'm thinking, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I hear Claire Balding in my ear. She's like, well, good morning, viewers on BBC Two. Um, welcome. It's the first day of the Winter Olympics, blah, blah, blah. And Jenny Jones is in the final. Um, she's looking to potentially upset the proceedings. Uh, it's over to Tim Warwood and Ed Lee with the commentary. And I was just like, oh, you know, swallow hard. I'm live on BBC Two. And Ed's cool as a cucumber. He's like, well, welcome. Yeah, we're at uh, Rosacuta. The conditions are perfect. And da, da, da. And uh, Tim, what can we expect? And I went, well, Ed. Um, uh, well, Ed. And I'm like, can't even talk properly. But And at this point, my phone just starts going, vibrating mad <laughs> on the desk. Because everyone's like, you're live. You're live on the telly. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just mind blowing. You know, we kind of, we, we got a bit of, a bit of slack, uh, a bit of flack, excuse me, for um, losing it in the booth when when Anagasa fell over because that meant Jenny had won a bronze medal and um, yeah, yeah, bit of controversy. Three hundred official Ofcom complaints, you know, but over that, what's, yeah, what's an Ofcom complaint between friends? Really? That's quite, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a few, crazy. Yeah. And and that is, so yeah, it's not even well. Yeah, I don't know. You, like you, you're going to be cheering for your mate, right? Whether you cut it, then you um, um, is it like you, you get to that stage where I don't know. You must be so comfortable then in 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 the booth after that time that I don't know. Sometimes you you just forget that it's live, maybe and one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you just and and it it is it's relatively lonely because you you. You commentate, it's not like you only commentate when the telly's on. You know, like, for instance, the TV will only pick up the finals or the last eight or whatever it might do. But yeah. you you commentate start to finish. So it's like a normal day doing commentary for the 23 people on the side of Rosendale Ski Slope. Do you know what I mean? You're doing this commentary in your head how you think commentary should be done. It's, you know, and again, we received a lot of flack. And if you do read you know, into all the comments on the Daily Mail websites back in the day or whatever. It was be like these idiots just showing off and they're just da 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 and it's and it's it is a form of showing off, yeah, but it's not how it's not we weren't doing it any different to how we've always done our commentary, which is yeah. just to make people laugh. It's use analogies that make you laugh. I'm trying to make Ed laugh. He's trying to make me laugh and you absolutely forget that you're live until you say something stupid that then people start to tweet you seconds later and they can't believe that you've said it. Or I think I mentioned a wizard sleeve at one point, which only afterwards I was told the uh, real meaning of a wizard sleeve, but I didn't know what it was at the time. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it, yeah, I don't know. It, you do, you forget that you're live and it's just brilliant to do really. Yeah. How do you keep the balance between the core and then mainstream? So that whole like snow and action sports audience, depending on, and then with the different sports, right? So where it's sort of skate, BMX, snowboarding. It's really hard. And I think, you know, to, to appease a core audience now, it's, it's tough because you, you, as you get older, you grow out of those scenes. I mean, I'm a dad with three kids now. I'm not going to every single snowboard event around the world. Like someone say, for instance, Henry Jackson, you know, he's the pulse of men's, and women's snowboarding, you know, he knows absolutely everybody. He knows what they ate for dinner. He knows the latest tricks he knows. Whereas I don't get to go to all these events. I have to go to Manchester and sit and just watch it on a screen. So you, you have to kind of pick it up quite quickly. And I think one thing you can do as a commentator, you can lean, you can start to lean very heavily on more of the BBC audience or, or the, the audience that's not the core audience. Mm -hmm. And then you start to alienate the core audience. And as a, someone that's come yes. from the core sports, you then start to panic and think, Oh man, 
I'm not good enough. I'm doing a disservice to them and I'm doing that. But, but actually, I don't know, of the, of the two or four million people that watch Jenny Jones's medal, only probably 10,000 of them knew exactly what a double cork 1080 was or, a, yeah. uh, you know, so it's, you, it, you've really got to know your audience and it, you, a bit of you does, you know, your soul does die a little bit when you think, Oh, am I doing a good enough job? And do I know the sports well enough now? And I'm, but I think I, I know this is maybe comes across as quite big headed, but I think I do a good job of bridging that gap. You know, I can talk with authenticity about skate, BMX, surf and snowboarding. Cause I've, I've, I've done the sports, oh. you know, I've, I've kind of yeah. lived skate and skate BMX and snowboarding more so than surfing, but I've definitely lived those sports since I was a little kid and always watched them and grew up, you know, trying them trying to be good at them being absolutely yeah. rubbish at them and falling and slamming so I, I know what goes into them and i know enough to bridge that gap um and, and hopefully do a, a good enough job for both really i think ed and mark churchill did a brilliant job in, with skateboarding at the olympics that that in tokyo because i was there as a reporter and i um, ask you about that how, how yeah. that was just being on the ground for their kind of in such a weird obviously with with covid happening um, yeah yeah bonkers that was just again just a crazy crazy event and and it felt it felt very similar to what snowboarding did and i think i was drafted in as a as a skateboard and bmx and and uh skate bmx and climbing i did all the reporting for almost the action sports disciplines which was which was really amazing to be a part of and again it felt very much like Sochi to be there for the when snowboarding slope style made its debut and ski slope style made its debut that these sports came in and just blew everybody away and you know you're getting tweets off people that have never seen skateboarding in their life like this and they're like oh my god it's amazing what they're doing and the height and the tricks and and everything and I think just to go back to what I was about to say is that Ed and Mark did such a brilliant job of guiding the uh, the brand new audience through but also really appeasing the core audience because there is no one better than mark churchill at skateboard yeah. commentary i mean he's the absolute master and, and ed loves his skateboarding ed really knows his skateboarding as well and you know they both did such a brilliant a brilliant job and the bbc in all fairness you know they they let them do it in a way that it should be done because they, it wasn't patronizing. You know, they started off and like, right, this is a crook grind, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And this is a Smith and uh, talking them through and then, but then throughout towards the end of the competition, they weren't giving those explanations every time. It's like, if you're on the journey with us, we've told you at the start and by the end, <laughs> you should know it kind of yeah. thing. And, and I think, you know, that, I think it just made for just such a brilliant broadcast. And um, yeah. What, what was it kind of, yeah. Like, like, I guess the feedback that you guys got after that and people seeing these sports new for the first time. And I don't know, all the, all the athletes or the riders kind of hugging each other. Um, it's just a different thing, right? And, <laughs> it's, and like, people... it's, not, it's not like the Olympics. Oh, it? Sorry. Not, I'm not, not like the athletics or swimming where they just kind of go up and give them, give them a massive hug. Like, I mean, people couldn't get it in their, people couldn't get it in their heads. Could they, that, that, that everybody was celebrating the other winners the way that they were. And, you know, it's, it's all about, I think it's it's really hard to define and, and I've been asked about it a few times and I put it down to just everybody's in those sports. A, they know how hardcore it is and what it takes. It's so much dedication to push the boundaries of the sports and get to that level. They've all paid the price. They've all slammed really hard. They've all got hung up on their bikes and blown a back wheel. They've all yeah. caught their toe edge at full speed. You know, they're, 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 all these athletes have been on this journey where you've really got a, what's the, what's the phrase? You've got to pay the monkey to eat the peanuts or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know, but you've, you know, they, they've all been on that journey. And so they've got this mutual respect amongst them all is the first thing. And then the other thing I believe is just, they, they all care about the progression of the sports. And when they're yeah. seeing hammers getting thrown down, these huge tricks, new, never before done, done books or double flips or whatever it might be, you know, Charlotte Worthington in the, in the BMX, the, the, the uh, freestyle, freestyle BMX. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, she did that backflip 360. It was, never been done before the girls just lost their mind it was so amazing to see that they all care about the progression of the sport more so than 
the other person beating them or winning, do you know what I mean? Or winning themselves. Yeah. And how, how do you feel about Paris? What do you, what do you reckon it's going to... I think Paris is going to be incredible as well. Only A, Paris is rad. B, it's finally a European time zone, so more people will get <laughs> yeah. to see the sports. Because we've had just Asian Olympics the last, you know, we had, what do we have? Well, yeah, Sochi wasn't the best. Then it was South Korea, Beijing, Beijing, Tokyo. So, yeah, they've all been, they've all been really weird Asian time zones. So to have a, a summer Olympics and then Milan in for the winters after that, um, I think it's going to be really good. I think, I think we're going to be treated to some brilliant, brilliant um, skate BMX. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then surfs, yeah, over into Haiti, which is a bit yeah. Considering yeah. they should be like doing it down in hospital, but I'm definitely trying to get uh, the report duties out in Tahiti, but I don't <laughs> think uh, <laughs> I can't see the I'll BBC sending me down there for that one. Yeah. And what like what about the TV show stuff? So have you, have you kind of got your any like eyes set or ideas on trying to do anything either with like famous first first words or any different kind of shows? Yeah, I mean it's um. I love TV and I love I, I love the kind of doing it and seeing the end product and we worked me and Gendel worked on a on a massive show which which in our head was going to be life changing and it was life changing it was incredible it was called Animal Impossible and we made it for mm-hmm. BBC Studios so the same people that made um all the planet earth and blue planet and you know these huge natural history shows and it was me and Gendel, two best mates getting to go around the world for a year and we got to basically go and disprove all the animal facts that people take for granted or people just assume are real so the classic is is spider silk is stronger than steel so we go on a mission to prove that either true or false um Sharks are mindless man-eaters. If you see a bear in the woods, you should play dead. All these like crazy facts. And we basically filmed this TV show um, in conjunction with a, a Chinese channel called Migu and BBC Earth. And it was it was unbelievable. I mean, it was it was the stuff of dreams, getting to just go around the world for eight months, doing all these insane things. For the sharks episode, um, we spent... Uh, two and a half weeks down in South Africa with sharks, with great white sharks. And in the end, uh, to prove that sharks aren't mindless man-eaters, once we'd learned all the science and filmed all those bits, Gendel swam with a great white shark with no cage. Um, I mean, it was just stuff we did was unbelievable. Um, But unfortunately, it never got picked up by a channel in the UK. So we did this amazing project made these 10 brilliant episodes that we were really proud of and and really stoked and it never got aired it never never went out so it it, not that it ruined it for us but it certainly kind of made us just go ah okay well tv is hard and even and even though we had an amazing vehicle and and made this incredible show and got paid you know it's not like we didn't get paid for it um it still didn't even get to air and We've done some amazing projects and we worked on the Red Bull soapbox race for Dave. And like I said, we did the, I did some CBBC stuff and I do work for BBC sport and that's amazing, but TV's so hard and you come up with all all these ideas that you think are amazing, but to get them actually onto TV, when you see a Saturday night TV show, I mean, that has, that show has been two years in the making. It's been through all kinds of rounds of development. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not just a, Saturday afternoon idea, film it on the Monday and it's back on telly on the Saturday again. It's, you know, it's such a huge process to, to get on telly. And I think that after the pandemic, um, me and Gendo, because of what happened with Animal Impossible and the handbrake going on there, and we kind of lost our, our Red Bull soapbox job to some younger, better looking presenters yeah Yeah. that you kind of just you kind of just say you kind of just say to yourself well you know we had an amazing ride and it was wicked we did some brilliant projects that actually it doesn't matter you know it's fine and you guys were going all all around the world with that as well weren't you yeah yeah the the red bull soapbox race again it was another dream job it's like hey do you want to go to johannesburg or do you want to go to norway or do you want to go to new zealand it's kind of like yes okay so we did these (laughs) amazing shows just just that actually we, we were both kind of had a bit of an epiphany 
where we just were like, is epiphany is the wrong word? Probably. We had the moment where we sat down and we went, do you know what? Kind of sick of chasing it a little bit now. Let's just, we've had an amazing innings. We've done some really cool projects and we're really happy, but let's just focus on famous first words. And if TV comes knocking, we'll do it. Um, but if it doesn't, then it just doesn't matter because we'll just move on and do something else. And, and um, yeah, you know, famous first It's words. more sort of in your control as well, right? It is, yeah. Sorry, and, and no, yeah. not at all. You're absolutely right because it is a lot of meetings and a lot of kind of pushing and, and going to meet people in London and, hey, I've got this brilliant idea for a show and, yeah. oh, use me, I'm good presenter, you know, kind of thing. But you kind of <laughs> just have to go, yeah, you kind of just have to go, do you know what? Let's, we're fine. We're two, we're two middle-aged dudes in our 40s, you know, with yeah. kids now. Let's, uh, you know. The, the, the frustrating thing, I think, is that, Every job we did, people were like, oh, my God, you you guys are the next Ant and Deck and you're this and that. And it does kind of rub off on you a little bit. You kind of think, yeah, we are. We are as good as them, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which we're probably not. But it, you kind of think to yourself, maybe we'll get a Saturday night entertainment show. Maybe we can. Maybe we could be successful like this. But actually, there's for every Tim and Gend or Ant and Deck, there's 50 million well, for every Ant and Deck, there's 50 million Tim and Gens. Do you know what I mean? That think that they that think they could do it. But um, like I said, we had a brilliant innings, and, and if TV comes knocking, and then we'd never say no to it. But um, at the minute, we've got famous first words, and uh, yeah, we're loving doing that. And I still, I still do BBC Sports stuff. You know, I still do bits for the Olympics, and and yeah. I'm doing some triathlon bits. I'm, I'm actually next weekend off to London to do some live stuff for bbc2 for the cycling so okay, i so. still do stuff i'm it's, i sound like i'm retired i'm not retired <laughs> but then like with all the like like when you have kids priorities change right i mean i've got a six-year-old and kind of i'm over here in portugal i don't know if you've got you've got three right so it's kind of you don't want to be on the road like constantly and then you know you don't unless you can kind of bring your family with you you sort of you see them less right so yeah, it's cool when you yeah. can kind of dictate things and pick and choose projects and especially kind of do it on your own terms. And It's, it's really, um, you're absolutely right. And it, and it's, I, I think I've always had that thing with being freelance. My problem is I'm always sure I'm 100% sure that I'm not going to get employed again. So I say yes to every job and that does actually lead to a little bit of, um, that does lead to a little bit of, you end up working a lot and and not seeing your kids as much as you want, but you're absolutely right with regards to your priorities change. And you just think to yourself, man, I've got to, I've got to support these kids now and I've got to be there for them. And I've got, to, I've got to do this. And, and yeah, it's, it, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Yeah. It's a bit of a stress as well, isn't it? Especially being freelance. That's the worst. Yeah. I spoke to a photographer, like famous photographer about this, like, uh, a couple of months back and he was just sort of saying that yeah you never know with the being freelance for so long you kind of you get a call up from a client if they're a big client you can't re you can't really say no no to it yeah. and he sort of or you feel that pressure on yourself but maybe it's kind of you just put it on on yourself a bit or something i don't know yeah um, i always yeah. The, the thing i always remember and this is absolute 100 percent cheese cheese balls but my mom always says that just continue to work hard whatever you do just keep your head down and work hard because the right people notice and i've always remembered that and it's just what you got to do isn't it every job you do do a really good job and hopefully the right people notice yeah and what about um podcasting so are you got are you still doing the stuff with, with ollie for for appraise and yeah yeah we'd love it in fact we've been trying to um so we've there's me ollie and and jenny jones um so to try and coordinate three people's diaries when one of us can't do after three o'clock the other one can't do in the day and the other one can't do after 7 p.m it's like really really hard to find the time but we've loved it we've loved this season i did i actually did a year in breakfast radio up here in birmingham so i worked for oh, really? a radio show called uh free radio which is um if there's any people from birmingham uh, listening it's basically the old 96.4 which is the old brmb frequency which is quite a famous frequency here in the uk uh, here in birmingham and i did it for a year breakfast radio and i absolutely loved it i loved the immediacy of it and how 
quick it was and and you'd get on you'd talk and then you'd go home and that was it and and you know you'd get these little ideas a day before and you'd implement them the next day and I think with podcasting, it's just quite a similar thing. It's quite a, you know, audio. It's you, You've got your little mic. You just chat away. If you err uh, or um or make a mistake, you just quickly move on. You don't labour on it. But obviously in TV, yeah. because you've got the luxury of going, I'll just have another go at that. It, it You really lose that spontaneity of, of just doing a link and getting rid of it regardless. Because if there's a little stumble, which I'm really good at stumbling as I'm talking, that... You know, if there is a little stumble, you when you're doing TV, like let's just let's record another one, let's do another one. So you've taken yeah. twenty minutes to do one link, but in radio, you get one go, and that's it. So that's kind um, of good, though. And then you can just kind of yeah, you just you just get on with it, don't you? If absolutely. You, if you do like make any mistakes, and yeah, and it, it, doesn't, it becomes doesn't human. Yeah, exactly. It becomes human, and and I think the audience kind of accept it, and they either love it or they hate it, and they can turn off if they want, or they go, oh, that guy's a bit like me, the way he can't say the word necessarily, or you know, whatever it is. And uh, so yeah, so with podcasting, yeah, I I, I love it. I, I did. Me and Gendall did a little podcast actually, of course, during lockdown. But um, yeah, it's I, I do miss it. And we just said this morning actually, I chatted to him this. I chat to him every day. He's like my husband. But yeah, chatted to him this morning. We're going to restart our podcast as well. So um, yeah, that's cool. And then it just yeah, I mean, it's just another excuse to kind of talk. I guess if you're doing it between mates or you know if if you're getting people on, it's just yeah, it's good to chat and don't know. Um, and like like now, so you, you're going to be heading to London. What else is coming up? Any, any like, so yeah, we've basically got a summer of famous first words. It's just, it's been, um, bonkers, just bonkers how much it's gone crazy. So we've got these four monthly shows, Birmingham, Glasgow, Manchester, and London. We've got festivals starting as well very soon. Um, I've got some TV coming up, BBC sport, I'm doing some bits for them, which is, which is really cool. The cycling the BMX, well, Freestyle BMX World Champs in Glasgow later on in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just... I've also got a new agent. I've got a new agent, a guy called Charlie, that's super rad. So we're um, we're working on a strategy, a world takeover strategy, which uh, <laughs> I don't... I don't Famous quite. first words everywhere, man. Just got to... Yeah. Um, well, this is it. I just... And also, I mean, I don't, didn't mention it earlier, but we've actually signed with um, a production company for Famous First Words because actually... That was always the goal we did. The way it worked was we we were doing this show. We were doing Famous First Words. It used to be the last 10 questions of a quiz. So me and Gendel used to do a lot of quiz hosting. And it used to be the last round of the quiz. And it would go mental. People would go mental for it at the end. And it was basically the the last round was always a, I can sing the first line of the song round. So yeah. we'd play a song. And if anybody could sing it, they'd get 20 points. So it was a way of get to the end of the quiz and... You could win the quiz just in the last round. You didn't have to basically do good in the the start of the quiz. And so we ended up doing a summer conference for Red Bull. And they said, oh, have you got, we need to fill 45 minutes. You haven't got anything in between like this and the the DJ. You could be going, yeah, we have got a little game. And they're like, oh, what is it then? And on the fly, we were kind of started thinking, we're like, oh, it's called uh, Famous First Words. And it's um, you've got three judges, and we kind of formatted it on the fly, and they're like, "That sounds great, let's do that then." So we formatted it, and it was, it was basically forty-five minutes, supposed to be forty-five minutes. We played for two hours. They absolutely, they wouldn't let us stop. They're like, "Keep going, keep going." <laughs> so we ended up doing two hours of, of famous first words and at the end the guys at Red Bull came up to us the, we had the marketing team and the TV team and all this they were like oh my god that's this and the, that should be a TV show and you should do that and da 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 and, the, and our friend at the time James Milnes came up and he kind of almost shepherded everybody when they're like look it's Tim and Gen's idea just leave them to it go away and um, we 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 a couple of weeks later, we got all, we basically filmed it. We we hired a pub. We put 200 quid behind the bar. We got all of our mates with cameras. We got in some renter judges and, and filled it with all of our, filled the whole bar with our mates and a few locals in this bar. We played Famous First Words like a TV game show because we wanted to format it for telly and make this kind of taster real. And at the end of the night, all these kids that we had no idea who they were or where they'd come from, they came up, they're like, when's the next one? 
we'll come to the next one. How much are tickets? We'll... And a little light bulb went off and we thought, hang on, people would pay to come to this. And so ever since that day back in Dalston, the Three Compasses, seven years ago, we've been doing it as a live night, as a live event show. And invariably, a lot of the nights, someone will come up to you at the end and go, that should be on, t- that should be on telly. That's the best thing. That should be. Why is that not on telly? That we've, we've had it on the back burner for years and years and, and thought, yeah, we've got to make it a TV show. We've got to make it a TV show. And we've had commissioners come and watch it and all kinds of things that um, we've signed with a production company. So we've signed with a, a production company called Goat Films, who mm. are, they've got it for a year. They've got the the right to option it for a year, which is cool. And um, yeah, like I say, we've had some people from BBC come to watch it. And it's just, the thing is with TV and big ideas, just to go back to what I said earlier about it being, you know, every kind of Saturday night TV show has been on the back burner for two years. It's, it's the same here. It's timing is everything at the moment. There's a show out called that's my jam with uh, Mo Gilligan. And that's made by the BBC, but with all the greatest respect to Mo Gilligan, I don't know him, um, but the, I don't think it's done too well. I, I think it's kind of panned a little bit, but it was filmed in front of an American audience with the UK competitors. So it's got, there's a disconnect between the audience. They've not really bought into it as as what you need to get the energy mm-hmm. in the room. So the the main thing about our show, it's all about the energy in the room. It's it is electric on the on the nights when we're playing the game that you've got to try and transfer that to telly. So everything has to be right. And I think it's going to be a bit of a waiting game and, and we'll just see how it goes. And I think as well, you know, the 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 35-year-old Tim Warwood would stood there and gone, it must be me that presents it. Nobody else can present it. Da da da. But whereas now being a dad with different priorities and being slightly older and longer in the tooth, I'm like, if for the right money flipping anyone can present it (laughs) it could be a man in a chicken suit as long as i'm getting paid i don't care who presents it so yeah it's 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 um yeah i'm definitely open to me well both me and gendal are more open to having uh, you know what what's the word i'm after yeah if when it goes goes, yeah the people involved definitely definitely yeah sick um, and what's the be- uh, best way if people want to find out about it or if they want to reach out to you directly? Oh, uh, yeah, Instagram. I am Tim underscore Warwood on Instagram. Or famous first words is FFW underscore UK. Nice one. Hey, and well, I'll tell you what, as a, if, you, if anybody would like to come, if anyone's listening in either Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham or London, they want to come to our monthly night, just message you um, and put them in touch or message me and I'll give them free tickets. They're more than welcome to come along. Thanks, man. Yeah. Sick. And good. Well, Ollie, you'll have to come and be our celebrity judge. You'll have to come <laughs> next time you're over in the UK. I'd love to, man. It'd be, yeah, it'd be cool to come over and yeah, I'm bouncing back and forth. So it'd be good. Wicked. Sick. Yo, Tim, um, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Great chat. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Is it? Thanks for listening. As always, you can find show notes and links to resources on radseason.com. I'll be releasing a weekly episode every Monday, so don't forget to subscribe to the Rad Season podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when new episodes drop. If you want to reach out to me, feel free to get in contact on Ollie Russell Cowan via all the usual social media channels. Thanks for listening.